Hello and welcome to Learning That Sticks podcast. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. In this podcast series, I'm speaking with experts from around the world of learning and development, exploring with them their different ideas, techniques and methods, their magic source, if you like, for creating learning solutions that truly stick. In this episode, I have the distinct pleasure of chatting with James Hudson from Drive Development and also the L&D Mastermind, which he created. And today we're not focusing small, we're going big. We're going to explore James' methodology for embedding transformational organisational change through his learning interventions. James, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. No, no, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. Now, before we get into the really sticky stuff around what you do, um, it would be great for the benefit of our listeners if you could give a bit of a background to your career in L&D and how it's evolved to, to the point that you're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem, Mark. So I, I began in my career, my career before L&D was actually in sales uh, and sales management. Um, and I kind of, like a lot of people, fell into learning and development. Uh, I was offered the role of a secondment uh, to, to do, deliver some training. And I just fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with training people. Um, and that stoked a passion inside of me to sort of find out, you know, how do I make learning interventions that really deliver impact and change on people's lives. Um, so I, I moved through many years of it being an internal L&D resource. So, um, you know, at O2 originally, uh, and then into T-Mobile, uh, Barclays Bank, and then to HSBC. Um, gradually moving up through the ranks and seniority within learning and development. So I did all kinds of different things from, um, you know, facilitation, learning design, um, managing L&D budgets, managing a team of trainers, managing coaching, uh, managing leadership development and bigger sort of programs uh, across the organizations. Um, and then about eight years ago, I set up Drive Development. Um, and since then, we've been working with all kinds of different clients around the globe, um, focusing on transformational change and how we deliver change within organizations. I, I love listening to stories like this. At the beginning, you said about fell into a learning development role, which I think is true of many people in learning development. And then you've charted this incredible career <laughs> through some yeah. amazing organizations, rising through the ranks and experiencing everything and then setting up your own business from something you fell into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you'd have told me when I was younger, this is the path I would have taken in my life, I would not have believed you. I was going to be an airline pilot, commercial aviation pilot. That was my dream as a kid or an architect. Um, so there you go. Funny you mentioned about an airline pilot. I distinctly recall um, in my very early years in L&D, speaking to a very seasoned, experienced uh, trainer of the day uh, who, t who told me... Um, a good trainer or a facilitator was like an airline pilot because he said you're not you're not always in control the plane does a lot of the work but you need to keep it on track and you facilitate it by keeping it on track so it's funny that you were going to be a pilot in <laughs> there you go maybe yeah. maybe i took some of those skills with me <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so james um we are going to have a look at your approach. So we're, 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 not, we're not focusing on a particular one single element about making learning sticky, are we? We're looking at a, a process that you have that when you start work with an organisation about how you make sure that you're not going in there just to sort of tick a training box, if you like, to say we've done the training, we've invested in our people, but actually that transformational change happens through the work that you do. 
Yeah, I, I'm a massive believer that, um, you know, to make learning stick, it's not just down to one particular thing. It's it's a combination of elements that come together, if you like, uh, that, that create that learning that really uh, transforms people's mindsets and their behaviours. So um, there's not just one thing that I would pin it on. There's a there's a multitude of things. Um but, uh, you know, ultimately, what we do, which is all around um, sort of large scale transformational change. So we'll work with organizations on uh, things like uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, restructures, um, transformational change of their, their customer service programs. Um, we, we also do things like uh, systems changes. So digital transformation, putting in new systems into organizations, all of these things require that we win people's hearts and minds because we're asking them to change what they do, change their behaviors, to, to pick up something new. Um, and, and, and so to win people's hearts and minds, as I say, it, it requires getting all those elements correct. Um, because if you, if you don't, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, people, people don't naturally want to change. We've got to sell them that change. Um, we've, we've got to give them the, the reason for the change. Um, and that comes through, as I say, all these combinations of things combining uh, together to make it happen. Absolutely. Hearts and minds, such a crucial part of that behavioural change. So so give us a bit of an outline then. So, you know, I, I'm almost setting the scene in my mind that... For a moment, I'm working in a big, big organisation, <laughs> and we've approached you to help us with uh, with a particular change project that we're working on. So, what's your? Give me an outline of the process that you use. Then. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Mark. You know, when, when we work with organisations, we work with some very, very large numbers. You know, where we're training groups of of, of you know people of sort of sixty eight thousand to I think the largest company we've worked with had two hundred and thirty five thousand employees. So, you know, you're talking large scales, number of people to get to get buy in. Uh, and, and really deliver behavioural change. Um, so, so the process that we go through has eight stages, um, and, and the first stage is all about defining. So you might think, well, wh why are we starting out by defining things? But actually, that's really, really critical. I'm a massive believer in Covey's uh, begin with the end in mind. Um, and, and so it's really, really important before we even start to, to discuss the project or anything like that, we have a clear understanding of where we're going. What does success look like? How are we going to measure that success? Um, and what are, what are our measures? What are our metrics that we will know that we walk away from this and we have successfully delivered change in this organization? So that's our first stages around defining. Uh, the second stage is all around discovery. So our, our discovery phase, I guess you might call it a uh, training needs analysis, learning needs analysis. I don't like to use those terms because in, in my experience, um, you know, it, it's not just training or it's not just learning. We really, it's about delving into this organization, discovering it. And we will look at everything from the culture of the organization, the processes that they use. Um, we, we, we run things like forums with staff members to really understand what's going on, uh, as well as speaking to those stakeholders, those leaders, and really trying to get an understanding for the business. Um, because for me, it's really important at this stage that we uncover um, not just what's currently happening, but all the possible blockers, challenges that we might face, logistical issues, all this kind of stuff. It all comes out at this stage. Um, and often, you know, we, we might have been employed to come in and say, right, OK, let's work on a learning solution for this. 
but actually it's not just the learning solution that's going to make this change happen. Um, you know, there, there's, there's processes that need to change, there's system problems and stuff like that. So we look at everything. Um, and, and that takes a, you know, a period of time. Um, but it's really important for me that we can then report back to that organization and go, okay, this is what we think, you know, what we're proposing we're going to do. Um, and here, if you like, are the, um, the what's the word I'm looking for? Responsibilities and accountabilities. So we are responsible for creating the learning. However, in order for that learning to work, we need this to happen as well. And we need that to happen. And we need to work with you and partner with you to support these other changes in order to make the actual end result that the success that we defined in the first stage actually be achievable. Um, and so, yeah, as I say, it sounds like a simple phase discovery, but it's actually a, a big stage uh, in the in the process. Um, Just to pull in on that one point, you immediately highlight something for me, and I wonder whether anyone who's listening to this right now who's responsible for mapping out a learning intervention is truly holding to account other areas of the business um, for their roles, their responsibilities, their changes they need to do. Because obviously, as we well know, learning on its own, however sticky it is, isn't the glue. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> isn't. The whole process. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, and, and I think, again, part of the reason why we go through this phase and we're so careful when we do this phase is to highlight that there is only so much that the learning can do. There are other people who have to input into this um, and, and, you know, in order for this to be successful and making it very clear in black and white. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and that's something that I would do as an, as, you know, an external organization helping. But also, you know, when I worked internally, I think there's not enough of those conversations. It's something I learned in my internal L&D career to actually stand up and actually have to say to people, actually, do you know what? You, you, you kind of have to take some responsibility for this yourself. Um, you know, we can't, there are, there are no magic wands in L&D. I wish we did, um, but we can't just wave a magic wand and make this happen. Uh, it's about all of us working together and partnering together to make it happen. Absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's you know, any challenge out there to listeners, if you can create that magic wand. <laughs> yeah. <copyright> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think we'll all buy them. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is this is only two stages in out of eight so far. It is indeed. <laughs> so um, our next stage is all around designing. So that's designing uh, actually what we're going to do. Um, and so the the reason why we we sort of separate this out is it's about sort of sketching it all out. Um, and 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 when we work with organisations, we don't just use one. Um, one method, if you like. So, you know, we won't just come in and do a face-to-face -face, uh, training session with, with your teams. Um, it's all about creating blended learning solutions. Um, it's all around designing the program as a whole. So, um, you know, if I think about a client that we're working with right now, we've created for them um, sort of a one-hour blended learning session every single week, but supporting that is e-learning modules, supporting that are handouts and takeaways, supporting that is a manual that the, the um, manager uses each week to guide conversations and coaching conversations with that each staff member, um, as well as knowledge checkers to check that it's been understood. Um, so it, it, it's much more than just going, right, stick them on a training course, tick the box, off you go. Um, again, I'm a massive believer that we we all learn in different ways, and we can't just be be um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? We can't just be exposed to that new knowledge and skill once and suddenly we get it. Um, it's about that building of that learning journey over a period of time. Um, and so, you know, they will do so much with us in a classroom or in a, in a virtual training environment, but then so much more of their learning is done outside of that, actually putting it into practice, um, you know, and that manager sort of coaching that individual and, and, and sort of getting them to, to put it into practice. What did you learn from that? Reflect on that, right, okay, what are you gonna do differently next time? Um, so it, it all of that comes together. So just as a, as a bit of a takeaway for people here, and I know this the answer to this could be how long is a piece of string, but. <laughs> In your project process like this, on a, a typical size project you might work with, how much time would you dedicate to that design stage? Because this is something that came up on another episode, actually, that opened my eyes to the, the level of um, intensity that can go into the design stage. Um, so again, how long is a piece of string? It all depends on the overall program and what the program's aims are. I would say uh, it's going to be anything on this phase, anything from about a month to three months, um, dependent on the sort of complexity of the program and, and just, just how many different uh, pieces of the jigsaw we're putting together. Um, you know, if I, if I think of, again, another client that we worked with recently, you know, we were creating a whole social media hub within their organization so that they could get started on social learning and, and that side of things as well. Um, so yeah, it, it is how long's a piece of string. It really, really depends. <laughs> but I think that gives some context to how serious this stage is. You know, this is not cobbling together some some classic learning models into a you know a, a, a facilitator that can sort of wing through this stuff because they've done it many times before. You're talking one to three months as a minimum design phase before you even get to you know, people starting to move through their learning journey. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've not even started to actually develop anything. We've not even created a slide yet. Um, <laughs> so our next phase after design is develop. And that's where we start to actually put the slides together. Um, the e-learning the, the e is created. Um, you know, if it's a social learning hub, we're, we're working with, you know, our um, our partners who are web developers and things like that to really um, get get uh, the, the, the hub built and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're not even started to develop at the design stage. You know, ne next stage is develop. And that, again, can take, dependent on the size of the program, another month to another three months. It really depends how big the program is. Fantastic. Some serious um, time goes into this. It's Before we even get to, I think we'll be on to stage five soon. Yeah. I think that something that strikes me with this is to how early an organisation needs to be talking to their learning partner, be that a company like yours externally, or if they've got the internal resource in this process of change. And if I reflect on my experiences over the last 20 years, often learning seems to be brought in at the last moment yes. with an instruction to deliver some learning to support this massive change process. Whereas the timeframes you're talking about, they simply have to bring you in right at the beginning of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we don't have the luxury of time. And, you know, with that comes sort of those, those compromises and those kind of conversations around, okay, this is what we can create before we have to deliver this because there is a hard deadline on it. And this is what we're going to put in place afterwards to, to continue to support the change and, and, and see the change through. So not all of it has to be done before we, you know, 
see the whites of their eyes, be it on a, on a Zoom or or actually in the classroom. Hopefully, we'll be back there soon. Um, so, not all of this has to be done before, but I think you, you, the, in order for change to be successful, it takes time, and it takes time to get these things right and to and to build um, solutions that are really genuinely going to have impact. You know, you can't just you know, write it on the back of a fag packet. It just isn't going to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially in the battle of smoking buildings these days. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going right back there, back in the days. <laughs> back in the day of the, the early roles in L&D. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So we've got to the develop stage. What yeah. Else? So so as I say, develop is all about how we're developing things. And, and for me, if, if I'm thinking about what makes learning stick, um, you know, development is all around making sure that the the materials we design, the content is engaging. So, you know, we, we're very much around minimum of PowerPoint as possible. Uh, and on those PowerPoint slides, minimum number of words, let's keep it mainly image-based. So again, we're going to capture people's imaginations and things like that uh, and facilitate conversations rather than telling or talking out them. Um, if I'm thinking about some of the other things we do, you know, lots of activity-based um, things. So again, I'm a firm believer that getting people to do things and pushing people out of their comfort zone really helps people to learn. Um, and taking people away from their job. So I think, it, you know, if you can take them into a different space and get them to think about outside of work, what would they do? How would they do this? And they get them to realize actually, why aren't you doing the same thing in work then if that's what you would do outside of work so all these kind of things really really help people to kind of have what i call the light bulb moments which is what it's all about um, the light bulb moments in the classroom on the zoom call where they're going ah so i do know how to do this i just don't do it at work at the moment right i need to start doing it at work right let's let's kind of uh, look at this model let's look at what we need to do um, but for me, the, you know, the, the, the training is, is, is not about information share. It's not about knowledge share. Um, it's about bringing things to life and giving people practical applications of those models and, and knowledge. Um, and so, you know, we do a lot of activity-based stuff. We do a lot of discussion, facilitating, getting people to kind of think, okay, lovely looking model, how are you actually going to do it? Uh, and I think that's that's the key to making learning stick as well is, you know, it's all very well telling people these models, but they need to know how. Um, so that's that's a key thing for me. Um, and the other thing that's just thrown into my mind as well, sorry, Mark, you know what I'm like, I taught for England, um, is what I see often, the, the trap that we fall into in L&D, is we tell people what we want them to do. We might tell them how to do it. We very rarely tell them why they need to do it. And for me, the why is such a crucial stage because when I leave that training room, it's so easy for me to go back to my old habits. So easy for me to just go, right, okay, well, I'm just going to go back and do it this way. It's too hard to change. So unless I know why I really need to change and why this change benefits me, I'm just going to go back to my old way of doing things. So a huge part of our programs and a huge part of the time we spend with the whites of people's eyes, as I call it, actually in the classroom on a Zoom call at the moment, is spent actually really making it clear to them 
why you need to change and why this is going to be so beneficial and how much, you know, how things don't have to be the way they are anymore. <laughs> there is a better way. Um, and then we actually show them the better way. And that might take up, you know, actually quite a small part of what we do. Um, and, and that element is so critical, isn't it? Because often with a lot of change programs in organizations, they are foisted on people rather than being involved in that process from the very, very beginning. So if they don't get a chance to have that, you know, maybe sometimes even heated discussion around why the change needs to happen and, and bring out all that natural resistance to change, um, the change is very unlikely to be adopted in a positive light, is it? No, absolutely. So it, it, it's it's the, the the why is so important. I can't stress that enough. Uh, you know, people need to people need to give, be given a reason to to change. I mean, if you look at the psychology of change. M- we tend to see change as a threat. So the moment someone says, "Oh, this is happening," we think, "What am I going to lose? You know, what what what's what's going to happen?" Um, and so what we have to do is we have to change that psychological reaction to change to get people to realise that actually this is an opportunity, because with every change comes comes opportunity. Uh, and so it's getting them to realise actually there are opportunities here. There are there are good things coming. And you know, I, I'm thinking about what we're talking about with learning that sticks is learning is never going to stick if you're resistant to the change that is part yeah. of that learning um it's in fact it's going to be the opposite of sticky <laughs> and it's going to be seen as the enemy almost isn't it absolutely absolutely when people feel threatened by it they will fight or flight so i'm either going to fight it or i'm going to run away and i'm not going to do it i'm going to you know refuse to do this um so what we need to do is get rid of that fight or flight instinct and really really sell in the change and get people really bought into it and, and seeing the benefits of it absolutely so this is all in the delivery stage absolutely that's what we do when we've got the whites of the eyes and and as i say it's all about um you know using activities um I haven't mentioned this yet, but making it fun. But I use fun with, you know, brackets, inverted commas around it because I'm not a big fan of fun for the sake of having fun. Um, I I remember many, many moons ago, I um, was working in inductions and that that was one of the, you know, I I managed welcome and onboarding uh, at HSBC at one stage in my career. And we created this welcome and onboarding plan it was fantastic way ahead of its time but because we were all really young and the majority of people who came through that plan uh, were really young we created it full of all these games and everyone's having fun and having a laugh and you know friday fun day and all this kind of stuff and then the bank started to employ uh, more experienced people shall we say um and suddenly we realized that our idea of fun was not other people's idea of fun <laughs> and actually to them this was like what what are we doing we're grown adults why would we want to you know run around playing games all day and all this kind of stuff um so yeah i use the word fun with inverted commas you've got to make it memorable you've got to you've got to make people enjoy themselves because uh, i'm a firm believer that, that helps learning to stick if i can look back on an experience and go ah oh, remember that time we did that oh god that was great wasn't it oh and yeah we were on that course and that's what we were talking about and that's what we learned again it's all about bringing bringing it back for people um but as i say be careful with fun make sure it's something that everyone's going to find fun not just you um <laughs> Yeah. And I think the key there is it, the fun element is not the end goal, is it? The end yeah. goal is learning that sticks. The fun is a, is a good method of getting there. 
Um, and it, it, I think enjoying it is probably the key word there, isn't it? As much as because yeah. that can be misperceived. And I know sometimes a lot of training can be seen as oh, they're just in a room playing games, or you know they've gone out for the day to you know <laughs> clamber over some fences or whatever. How is that relevant to what we're doing? So it can give it almost a bad. Uh, yeah, um, bad reputation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, fab. So that was that's the deliver phase. So uh, if we if we move on past delivery, uh, we then move into embedding, which I think is an absolutely crucial stage. Um, and I've spoken a little bit about it already. So a lot of that embedding is all around sort of manuals that maybe we'll give to managers on the coaching conversations that they that they have with other clients. You know, they 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 ask us to do the coaching. And so we have a team of coaches that will actually go in and, and do the coaching as well. Um, I think with the embedding stage, the key here is it's not just the individuals um, that are that are doing the change that, that need to be coached. It's also the managers. It's the manager's managers. Um, and they need to be on board. They need to be embedding the change as well. They need to be continuing with that messaging. Um, and so our embedding phase is, is very much around, okay, you, you've had your training you know, your 12 weeks or whatever it is. Now it's about what do we do afterwards? How do we follow this up? How do we ensure that uh, the individuals are still getting that messaging um, and that we're, we're driving through those, those elements of change, whether that be people from drive development, supporting the business to do that, or us creating the plan for the business and them doing it internally. And again, I mean, uh, just to give some insight on this, because I think most of us involved in learning will talk about embedding. And, and needing to embed whatever it is that has been learned in a particular learning session. Um, but often that can be left to chance a little bit or seen as something that just happens in a day. Again, again, with the piece of string in mind, time frame, if you're, if you're running a, a, a big transformational change project in a business, where would you guide them towards in terms of the embedding phase? Days, weeks, months, years? A minimum of three months. Minimum, even with a with a short program. If I think of the shortest sort of programs that we've we've run with organisations that might have just been, um, you know, we'll work with you, train all these people up over the course of a month. I would still expect the organisation to spend the next three months, you know, cementing that message, um, regularly checking in, um, ensuring people are doing it the right way and if not you know what's the follow-up all that kind of stuff um but like you say it doesn't happen by chance and i think again from my experience within lnd often we just kind of go right well we've done our bit let's walk away um and, and actually it, it's not going to happen unless we put together plans because managers are busy um, and they will just move on to the next thing so you know it needs a plan and it needs someone within that organization to drive that plan through. Or if you can't, it needs an external provider, you know, to come and support you in embedding that because you can't just send people on a training course and expect them to do it. it that's not how this works. <laughs> and, and interestingly, I'm going to bring you back to one of your very, very first phrases as well on hearts and minds is mm. in an embed process like that actually the managers, the directors, the stakeholders, hearts and minds are just as important because it would be easy for them to look at a project of this scale and assume, like you said, that you're, you're like a production line delivering nice shiny new objects off that can perform in this new way or, or, or provide this change, whatever that might be. Um, and that's not the case. And their belief has to be rock solid that that embed process is going to have its difficulties and its bumpy bits and its mistakes and failures, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. But it's it, it, it's like anything, you know, we don't create anything and it just goes on and, and lasts forever and works. You know, even if you think of a car, it comes off the production line, it still needs to be serviced, it still needs inspections, it still needs checks. Um, and it's exactly the same with this. You know, you can create something wonderful, but unless it's embedded, it, it isn't going to bring about the change and the results that you want. Well, absolutely. No. If my maths is correct, we've still got some stages to go on. We, we still have some stages to go because there are eight stages in our process that we work with uh, with our clients. Um, so stage number seven is evaluate, which again is absolutely critical. How are we evaluating that change has actually happened? Um, and so, we, you know, we tend to use tricks because it's the most commonly known one. Um, but one of the things that we will work really closely with the client is all around um, sort of that stage two. So knowledge checkers, skills assessments, things like that. So can we build um, checks that we send out to the individuals so we can check their knowledge, check that they know what they're doing, check their skills, right? Okay. You know, whether that be quality standards or something like that, uh, where we're checking in to make sure that actually we're seeing the change in the behaviors um, in, in, in what they're doing. Um, so that that's that's sort of that level. Um, I tend to be less of a happy sheet kind of guy. I'm not a big fan of happy sheets. Um, I think they are useful in the moment, um, but I, the danger is that they become um, a bit of a vanity thing for the trainer and, oh, look how good my marks are. Um, I find them far more valuable when they're much more around, okay, how did you find the training? Is there any feedback that we can implement that's going to make the training even more effective and better for your colleagues that are coming after you? That should be the purpose of your happy sheets um, to, to kind of get, get feedback in the moment of, of how we can improve things. Um, and, 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 of, and of course, in terms of the evaluation, you know, we're talking about the business improvements and again, which rolls back to what we defined in the first stage around, okay, what are our success metrics? So we, we, we know from stage one, okay, this is what we're looking at as a metric. So now we need to go back in the evaluate stage and actually see how, how are we doing? And if we haven't hit it, what do we need to do? What do we need to put in place? Because, you know, it's about learning from that. And actually, let, let's not say, right, well, we haven't hit it. Let's move on. Uh, never mind. Better luck next time. It's not all about, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all about, okay, let's put together this part of the program or let's put another intervention in right now that is hopefully going to then, you know, take us over that line. Um, so it, it, it's, it, the evaluation stage is really, really critical. Absolutely. And I, I, I like the idea of the, whether, like you said, an external provider like you will be the internal practitioners that they are involved way beyond that happy sheet notion of have I done my job in the classroom today or on the Zoom today? And actually the whole reflection from the learner, the whole uh, evaluation against metrics, the whole assessment of change being delivered, um, the lessons that people in learning can learn from that stage are huge, aren't they? Because they, they oh, put back in on have the previous six stages worked essentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did we get it right? Was our discovery right? If not, right, let's let's go back and let's start to to you know change things so that we get it right because it's you know it's not enough to just go right. Well, it didn't work. Never mind. Um, you know, we, we've got to got to make sure we put it right. Yeah, you can imagine just holding up your happy sheets. Well, I did my bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not the yeah, that's not that's not a very partner uh, partner led uh, relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> So final phase is handover. Um, so when we've done all of that, there is still work to do. Um, and that is to make sure we hand it over successfully 
because it's it's all very well doing a great job. But unless that um, you know is, is continued after we leave the organisation, then it, 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 it's pointless. They're just going to go back to where they were. So handover again is really really critical. Um, it's it's all about ensuring that um, you know all those materials, everything like that. We run train the trainers to ensure that you know your internal resource can now deliver these sessions. So when new people are joining, they're able to to deliver it. Um, and and it, and it's all about making sure that they have everything they need for success. Because you know, as much as we love working with organisations, we don't want to be there forever. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not a permanent resource for that organisation. Um, but equally, you know, we, we don't we we want that success. We want that legacy of what we did in that organization. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the challenge is that because, you know, we, we hand over, we do these things so well, they don't need us anymore. Um, and so it can be a long time before we get called up again. But again, that's testament to the great work that we do and that the fact that that change has landed, it's been successful. They don't need us to come back in. They don't need to ring us up and say, right, okay, you know, we've got some more people that need training, James. Will you come in and do some training for them? Or, or <laughs> even even worse, death now when it's like, can you come and do a refresher, please? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> refreshing because... <laughs> yeah. Um. Hey, listen, you've just shared this very, very comprehensive process, okay? And in the context of the work that you guys do at Drive Development, which is on a very, very big program, something I'm reflecting on as I'm listening to you is, in reality, that process could be applied whether you're working on a much smaller particular area of development, a particular sector of a, of a particular business population, like a, a new group of managers or, or an induction process or a leadership program, you could use it if you're internal. It's not just a model for an external provider, is it? There's, I'm sort of throwing this back at you. Is there any reason why that process to ensure that any learning intervention stick generally sticks couldn't actually be used? There's no reason whatsoever. And I've used it internally. Um, you know, this has come out of my years of working internally within L&D and realizing that actually, um, you know, it's more than just delivering a shiny product. You know, in order to deliver that shiny product, we've got all these stages that have to come before it and all these stages that have to come after it in order for it to be successful. So absolutely. Now, my perception, based on my experience with clients over the years, would be that you might get pushback on certain parts of that. So is that something that happens where if you, for example, put together this lovely presentation of how you might approach supporting this transformational change, do you get pushback on certain elements or the certain ones that raises question marks in people who perhaps learning isn't their predominant mindset or skill set? Uh, we do indeed, Mark. I like to look at it as that organisation wasn't for us. We didn't have a good fit with the way that we work um, <laughs> That's my way of how I phrase it in my head. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of organizations that will say, well, you know, either, you know, that's just too long. We haven't got time to do all that. Or, wow, how much? Um, and But the point is, if you, want trans if you want transformational change, if you want it to stick, if you want to really deliver something that has a lasting impact, then you need to take the time 
to make it work correctly. Um, and, and, and often, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this eight stage process with many of our clients, they have internal resources as well. So I'm not saying that we do all of this work ourselves. Uh, you know, we will support, you know, and we will work with, it's about partnering with organizations. So we will work with them and obviously help out where they need us to help out um, and support them to deliver that change. Um, so I'm not saying that we do all eight stages with every single organization. Um, others have like internal areas that will will we'll de- we'll deliver some of it. See the 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 part of my thinking of people working internally. I wonder how often they come across this experience. I'm picking up on a word that you mm. use a lot there about partnering, and often yeah. I get the perception when I talk to internal L and D teams or individuals how they feel they're very. Um, they're very submissive in their business. They get told to come in and deliver something at a certain point. They don't get involved in the whole process. And it's it's interesting isn't it, to elevate themselves to that partner mode to suggest that sure learning can absolutely support this process, but actually there are eight key stages to it. And, and that's how we support this process. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree hundred percent. And again, you know, I've, I've worked internally, so, you know, I am, I am well aware of the challenges. Um, what I would say to anyone listening who is internal and thinking I will never, ever get there in my organization is you will, it just takes time and it takes many conversations over a long period of time to say to your stakeholders, okay, I get that we're short of time, but we really need to do these phases in order for this to be successful. Um, you know, and if you get pushback, compromise, find a way to work through it and work together moving forwards, because it's better to produce something than nothing. Um, so keep the relationship there. You know, let's not throw a diva strop and believe me, I can throw some diva strops in my days internally, you know, and wreck the relationship moving forward. Let's keep working with them. You know, it's about teaching these stakeholders as much as it is about teaching, you know, the the teams and training the team. So, you know, getting them to realize that actually learning isn't something that can just happen like a magic wand. We have to take time to prepare and get it right and get us involved at an earlier stage. Um, So, yeah, I, I can share their frustrations. I've been there myself, incredibly frustrated. But I can reassure them, you know, keep hammering away at it, keep chipping away. Um, it will eventually happen. You've just got to keep having these conversations with your stakeholders to say, okay, listen, this is this is this is what we need to do. And if we can't do that, let's 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 run with it because that's what we have to do. But when we're having that wash up after the project, you know, make sure you're reminding them what could we have achieved if we'd have been involved earlier. What could we have had if we'd had more time to do this? So, yeah. <laughs> but I think sometimes this as well afflicts those that are external as well. As I, you mentioned some of the size of the projects you work with. Now, a lot of external providers won't necessarily work on such on projects of such a big size, will they? They'll work on a more specific niche need of development. But listening to these stages, they're all so relevant to making any kind of learning intervention stick. And, and actually, if you, you have the competence to position your offering in that way, um, two things strike in my mind is one is the, the sort of the greater guarantor you have of adding value to that business and being able to walk away saying, you know, this is what you wanted, this has been delivered. But two, also just from a, um, from a business proposition, you're not just delivering three days of training, for example, you're delivering an entire transformational change project which of course you can charge more for you can position in a better way you become more of a partner for them you add more value it's actually expanding your business offering isn't it 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I talk about the glory projects like the 68,000s and the 250,000s. And yes, we have done them. But equally, we've got a client right now that we're doing some work with and it's 88 people. So, you know, it, it's not all, you know, 250,000 people. Don't worry. I think, I, think I'd have consider, I would have considerably more gray hair if it was 250,000 people every single every time. Every single time. Yeah. yeah. So, James, I've got, um, I've got a final question to put you on the spot here to, to help any listeners that are interested in, you know, building this process into their approach. And that is, if I look back through those eight stages, actually there's quite a different skill set required for each of those stages. It's not just about the delivery, if you like, or not just mm. about the design. There's going to be certain you know, stakeholder skills involved, certain negotiation skills, certain uh, planning skills involved. I mean, there's all sorts involved. It's not just about being a good facilitator, for example, is it? Mm -hmm. um, is there anywhere you would point people to for re sort of resources, if you like, or, or good learning for each or any of those particular key stages where someone could say, actually, you know, I want to get better at the at the design stage because actually I've always matched in design and develop together almost, but I want to specifically get that better. So is there any resources you'd point people towards? Yeah, I mean, two things I would say. I mean, firstly, it's not just me. So I would love to say that I'm like this L&D expert and some huge intellect that, that does all of this. Trust me, it is not me. I am very blessed to have a team of people who, who you know, I have worked with for, for many, many years um, and, and you know, some highly skilled L&D people within the drive development team that I've, I've brought in. Um, so, you know, it, it's not all just me. Um, the, the second thing I would say, you know, in terms of where to find resources, where to find help, is it's all about collaboration. And as I say, just like I can't do it all by myself, I need my team of people around me. I think every single L&D person moving forwards, we need to collaborate more. That's one of my big passionate messages, um, the need for collaboration. Uh, one of the ways in which you can collaborate is the L&D Mastermind, which is one of my other businesses. Um, so the L&D Mastermind is, is all about bringing L&D people together to connect, learn and grow. So to support each other in their careers, to learn from each other and to share experiences. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things that, that I'm a I'm a massive believer is, you know, the next phase of work is going to be the collaboration age. We kind of had the the the, the worker age. We then moved into the information age, um, and, and I think that the the next stage we're working into is definitely the collaboration age because no one can know everything and no one can do everything. Um, and so, the more we create partnerships and collaborations, the more successful we will be. And so, uh, I'd encourage people who work internally, you know, become a partner to your organization, have that partner mindset, collaborate with others within the organization to create something amazing. Uh, those who are external, collaborate with, with others. Um, and as I say, if you work in learning and development, there is a platform that I've created where we can come together and collaborate and help each other. And, and, and I know from experience, but on that platform, certainly there are people with expertise in each of those stages you've talked about, isn't there? And, and certainly as a an external provider that I love that idea you created there of maybe collaborating with four or five other experts that can you can tap into at design stage or or, or even uh, the evaluation stage, whatever it might be, rather than feeling you've got to deliver all eight stages yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic, James. It has been an absolute pleasure listening to you explain your approach from the really, really big scale of 250,000 learners down to the more sort of manageable of 88, but the same process applies. Same uh, process. And I think it's a really, really critical message that 
for learning to stick, it is not just about being a great facilitator, for example, or having a, a wonderful solution that, that is seen as a magic wand. There is a whole process that goes through. Um, and if you miss those blocks out, you're taking the glue away at every stage. Yeah, absolutely. James, this has been brilliant. Um, listen, for the benefit of our listeners, how can they connect with you and find out more if they want to discover more about the wonderful world of James Hudson? <laughs> <laughs> so um, by all means, feel free to connect up with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, it's James Y. Hudson. Um, or if you want to find out more about the LD Mastermind, which I'd love you to do, it's www.ldmastermind.com. Um, so learning and development mastermind, www.ldmastermind.com. Brilliant. Thank you, James. And I would uh, second that as I high, highly recommend checking that resource out. Um, we'll share all that information on the show notes too. And I want to say a big thank you to James for joining us today and a big thank you to all of our, all of you, those of you that are listening. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to connect with me, you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. My name is Mark Williams and uh, search for GiraffePad. And our website is www.giraffepad.com. Thanks and goodbye.